Uh, he has deceived his father into thinking that his older, he was his older brother Esau in order to gain uh, the blessing. Uh, and uh, that's his now second major uh, deception. And so Esau, he has gained both Esau's blessing and his birthright through chick- trickery and scheming. And so Esau is now consoling himself with the thought of killing his brother when his father Isaac dies. And so Jacob is really literally on the run, uh, fleeing for his life. Um, he is going under the guise of seeking, his, seeking a wife from among his mother's uh, extended family up in Haran. And he's on the way there because he is alone and he is desperate and all of his schemes have blown up in his face. And it's at this point right here, right when he's at the end of himself, right when everything that he has schemed and plotted and conspired around to accomplish has finally come home to roost. And he has finally painted himself into a corner that God comes in grace and makes himself known to Jacob. And really, this is, that's what this story is about, that when we're finally at the end of ourselves, that God is a God of grace who comes to us when we've gotten stuck. And so I want uh, you to turn with me over to Genesis chapter 28. And we're going to begin uh, in about verse 10 and read about Jacob and the stairway to heaven. Jacob left uh, Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, The land on which you lie will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, the first thing you'll notice as I read that passage is that the ESV text that I used doesn't use the word stairway, but the word ladder, which is the more traditional word. It's the word that appears, I believe, in the King James. Uh, But I think stairway is a much much better uh, uh, rendering of that word uh, that's there in Hebrew. And it's a much uh, maybe more clear way to understand what it is that Jacob sees. And what he sees... Uh, is not so much the point anyway, but who he sees. And who he sees in this dream is the Lord God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac, his father. And God is making himself known to Jacob in a very powerful way. And Jacob sees the Lord God Almighty standing at the top of this stairway or ladder, if you will. Uh, But this series of steps going up and all the way up the thing and all the way down are angels going up and down between heaven and earth. 
And at the very top of that is the Lord God all the way up to the throne room. Now, just imagine this. Just imagine what that would be like. Now, I remember being a, a, a seminary student uh, down at Dallas Theological Seminary, and they had this old building. You know, the seminary was originally built in 1925, and so they had some of the original buildings still standing there, and the accounting office was in Davidson Hall, which was up on the third floor, and there's no elevator. And it's about, it seems like about 4,000 stairs all the way up there every semester to pay the bill. And I don't care what kind of shape you were in. By the time you got to the top of that, it was like, <gasps> here we are to write our check, right? And you were humble when you came to make your payment because you were out of breath. A lot of stairs. But this is thousands of stairs, maybe even millions of stairs. And there are angels going up and down on it. Now, this is impressive. How many stairs do you think it would take? I mean, there are three up to this platform. How many stairs do you think it takes to get to the throne room of God? That's like how many licks are in a tipsy pop. I mean, I have no idea, right? It's, it's a lot. It's thousands. It's millions, potentially, from the earth all the way up to the presence of God beyond the stars. And this is what Jacob sees. Uh, there are thousands, perhaps even millions of stars, and thousands, perhaps even millions of angels that he sees. This is an impressive vision. And at the very top of all this stands God himself. And the point of the vision is that God is with Jacob wherever he goes. Because God is present everywhere and everywhere exists under his reign and rule and authority. So not just in Jacob's parents' house, not just in the land of Canaan, but everywhere is within the realm of God's presence and rule. And God not only shows himself in this awe-inspiring way, he also speaks. And when he speaks, what he does is he makes covenant with Jacob. And it's a covenant based on grace because, if anything, Jacob has done nothing in his life to this point to uh, in any way merit or deserve or earn God's favor. Amen? I mean, what have we seen of Jacob? We've seen that from birth he's been trying to get one over on his brother, that he's willing to lie, cheat, steal, uh, whatever, his way to get himself ahead in life, right? And it's to this kind of a person that God comes and makes a covenant. Uh, he has tried in a variety of sinful ways to get the bennies of a relationship with God. Because that's what the birthright and the blessing was all about, was being the person through whom God's blessing would come. But he's trying to do it through all of his own effort and scheming. And God comes. When that lying, scheming, deceiving, cheating dude is at the end of all of his stuff, God comes. And God is showing him that it's his choice to grant those things to whom he chooses for reasons of his own. And ironically, what Jacob has been sinfully pursuing and ruining his life to try to get, God is going to give him 
all at once. Now look what look what look at the language here in the text. Look at what he says, I will give you. He says, I will give you first of all, this is verse thirteen, I will give you the land. God first introduces himself, and then he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. That's first promise. I'll give you the land. Second thing, your offspring, verse 14, will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread abroad to west and east and north and south. And then you, now that's, in other words, you're going to have a lot of descendants. And then he says, last part of verse 14 there, all your offspring, and through, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Third promise. Now, I, I still remember my walk through the Bible seminar from back when I was in junior high, right? What were the three promises God made to Abraham? Land, seed, blessing, right? What are the three promises God made to Jacob? Land, seed, blessing. What's God doing here, in other words? What God is doing is he's saying, Jacob, you schemer, you liar, you cheater. All the things you've been trying to gain, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give I've chosen you to be the recipient of the covenant I made with Abraham. I'm going to give you the land I promised to Abraham. I'm going to give you the descendants just like I promised Abraham. And in fact, it's going to be through you that the Messiah, the blessing to all nations is going to come. Now, is that a good promise? That is a good promise. God says, I've chosen you to be these things. Uh, the things I promised to your grandfather Abraham, the things I promised to, later to your father Isaac, at a time when you have nothing to offer me, I'm going to give you all that I've promised. And all is going to come true. And in fact, he gives him another promise, verse 15. He says, Behold, I am with you and will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And I have to say this. This is the best promise of all. Of all of these promises God has made. The promise that God is going to be with him always. Wherever he goes. It means that you, wherever you go, are going to be well protected and well blessed indeed. Because Jacob has no idea how his life is going to turn out from here. You know, you and I can read the story and we know kind of where it's going to all wind up and what's going to happen. But Jacob doesn't know. He doesn't have have the kind of information we have about how his life turns out. And what's interesting here is God says, I won't leave you until I fulfilled all my promises to you. Now, are all the promises of God that are given here fulfilled in Jacob's lifetime? No. So when does God leave him? Never. God is promising to be with him forever. The promises aren't fulfilled until long after Jacob is dead and with the Lord. And he says, look, I'm going to be with you always. I'm never going to leave you all alone. And And that's a great promise, and particularly for Jacob, because think about it. Where is he? He's all alone in the desert using a rock for a pillow. 
you know, I've never been totally homeless. And I've slept outside sometimes. But I've never thought, you know, I, I need a pillow. Let's look around here. Oh, there's a nice rock. <laughs> I'll sleep on that. This is a portrait of a man who's lost everything. And God says, you haven't lost everything because I will be with you and I will give you everything there is to want. Not because of you, but because of me. And it's a beautiful promise to a man who did not have a beautiful character. Amen? And what we see here in this text is that God chooses and saves and uses those that he wants to use for reasons of his own. It isn't because, you know, as I said before, the Bible is not a collection of stories of godly, pious people doing godly, pious things. It's a collection of stories of ungodly, impious rebellious people that God nevertheless chooses, uses, saves, and brings into his family. And it's based on grace. In spite of what Jacob has done and who he is, God chooses him, saves him, and uses him. And, in fact, what we have here in this chapter is the account of how Jacob met the living God. Prior to this chapter, he refers to God uh, when he's speaking to someone else as your God. In fact, in his last chapter, when he's, when he's talking to his father Isaac, he says, may the Lord your God bless me. But in this chapter, what you're going to see is that all of a sudden, the Lord becomes my God. After his great dream, Jacob wakes up. Let's look at that here. It says, verse 16, Then Jacob awoke from his dream and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillow and poured oil on top of it, called the name of that place Bethel. But the place of the, the name of the city was Luz at the first. He wakes up, and I, I think his response is actually pretty funny when you, when you actually think about it. Look what he says. He says, surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. Now, Jacob has not been the most spiritually attuned guy up to this point. So the idea that God could be present somewhere and Jacob be unaware of it ought not be shocking. And yet he's surprised. Well, Shazam, I never knew. The Lord was here, you know. And there's also the fact, of course, that God is present everywhere. So to be, to be surprised to find God existing in a place is another sign that Jacob has no idea who God really is. But the other part of his response is really good. And, and his, the other part of his response is that he starts to worship God. Jacob builds this altar, and it's an indicator of the fact that God's revelation of himself to Jacob has changed Jacob's heart. And he now, rather than being distant from God, is now turning to God and worshiping him. 
And he is revealing himself, I think, therefore, to be a converted person, which I don't think he was before. And something you might find interesting here, actually, is the use of repeated words that are there in the text. Uh, the word head is repeated three times. Uh, and I think and a lot of times what you see in Hebrew is that repeated ideas are repeated because the person who is under the inspiration of the Spirit writing wants to indicate this is a, a parallel or a connected idea. So what you see, first of all, is you see Jacob's head, his melon on, on the stone, and then you see the head of the stairs where the Lord stands. And then on the, and then you have him setting up this pillar, this little altar, this memory stone, that this is the place where God revealed himself to me. He sets, he sets it up and he pours oil on the head of this pillar. And you also have the word stood repeated twice. One for what the Lord is doing at the top of the stairs. And once for how Jacob stood up the pillar. And Jacob's miniature altar here is meant to represent in a finite way the vision that he saw and so that he can remember so that he can remember what happened there so that when he comes back he can see that rock and go I remember this is the place where God met me and in fact he renames the place it had been called Luz he renames it uh, Beth El which means the house of God this is the place where God met me And the idea is that years later he might come back and see this and remember that God had made promises to him there, that God had had revealed himself in a mighty way there, and that God had promised to be with him there. And so this is a way for Jacob to, in a sense, drive a stake in his memory and say, look, this is worth remembering. This is worth going back to. These are the great promises of God, and I know that I have them. This wasn't just, this was a dream, but it wasn't just a dream. This was real, and this really happened. Uh, some of you may remember, um, I forget what, what old hymn it is uh, that has the words in it, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Remember that? Okay, how many of you remember that one? Okay, and you, a lot of you may be going, what in the heck is an Ebenezer? Okay, an Ebenezer is a Hebrew word that means stone of remembrance. Okay, because when the people came into the land, they did like Jacob did, and they set up stones, rock piles, monuments, memorials, so that people could say, what are all these stones? And they go, oh, you know, those rocks? I mean, they did it when they crossed the Jordan River. Those rocks, those are the rocks that your ancestors carried out of that riverbed over here to this side of the river and piled up as a remembrance of the fact that God brought us through the waters of the Jordan on dry land. And every time you see, well, not every time, but many times when you see God do something significant, the person who's involved in it says, you know what, I need to be able to remember this place. And they set up a stone of remembrance. Now, see, you can sing that hymn now and actually know what you're singing. It's good. Um, but this is, we do, we do that kind of thing in imitation of Jacob. 
Now, Jacob starts to try to make a bargain with God in verses 20 to 22. Uh, Always funny to try and do that. Uh, He says, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will give and it will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Uh, Jacob, at this point, I think, though he has a relationship with God, he doesn't quite understand how that relationship with God works. He decides to try to take God at his word, and God has promised to bless Jacob and bring him back here and give him the covenant. And Jacob's response, in a sense, is, I'll take it. I'll worship you, and I'll have you as my God, but only if you keep what you promised. And if you keep what you promised, I'll give you a tenth of everything you give me. And it's kind of cute, in a way, uh, that somehow he thinks that he and God are equal parties to the agreement. You know, it's like it's like my my youngest son who wants to, uh, you know, pay me a dollar to do things for him. Right. (laughs) I'm like, dude, you don't have any money, but what you got from me, (laughs) you know, Um, but this is kind of the idea that 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 Jacob's operating on here. And God is so gracious because to start with his his choice of Jacob was not dependent on Jacob's character, but on his plans and character. And so God accepts Jacob's terms, but there's going to be a period of time in the intervening years between now and when Jacob does come back to Bethel, where he's going to learn to trust and obey God. And we're going to start looking at that next week. But until then, I think there are some things that God is teaching us through this text. Uh, and I, I'd like to encourage us all to submit to the Spirit's leading and uh, transformation here on these things. So three things here that, that I think we might learn and grow and be transformed by here this week. Um, first, first is a question. question is, are you on the run? Are you on the run? Uh, it could be that you haven't gone anywhere physically different like Jacob. But the fact is, in your heart of hearts, Maybe you're running as fast as you can away from God. Maybe you're hoping to find contentment in a job by rising a little higher, making a little more money. Maybe you're pinning all your hopes and dreams for the future on a relationship with a man or with a woman. Maybe you're thinking that love and affection was going to satisfy the deepest needs and desires of your soul. Maybe you're using drugs or alcohol or food or porn or some one of those so-called romance novels uh, to ease the pain that you feel in your heart. And whatever the case, the reality of it is, as you really think about it, you're on the run because you aren't willing to turn to God and understand that he loves you and he has just as great, in fact, better covenant relationship to offer you as he does to Jacob. And if that's you, I'd like to encourage you to stop running, to turn around and let the God who is pursuing you catch you. 
And when you are caught, you, what you will realize is that though you never found contentment and joy in anything else, you can find it here. And if you've never done that, it's simple, but it isn't easy. It's simple to do, but it isn't easy. And the first step is this. It's to recognize that what the Bible says about you is true, that you're a sinner. The Bible says, actually, that all of us are sinners, whether we are lying, cheating, deceitful, schemers like Jacob, or whether we are self-righteous, prideful, religious people like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Whatever your issues are, whether you think that you are a pretty nasty person, whether you think you're a pretty good person, whether you think that if this were a Western movie, you'd be in a black hat or you'd be in a white hat, the reality of it is we all ought to wear black, according to Jesus. Because the world is not divided between good people and bad people. The world is divided between bad people and Jesus. And God accepts all kinds of bad people because he is gracious and loving. And though none of us are acceptable, all are accepted through the grace of God. That Jesus Christ loved us so much that he sent, that, that he came to the cross and he laid down his life for you and for me that we might be healed of our sin, that we might be granted new life, that we might receive entrance into God's family. And we could stop running away from God. And God has revealed himself perfectly and completely to us in Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's just like that. He is a God of love and of grace. A God also of justice who cannot abide sin. And the only way he has made for you to be acceptable to him is through his death and resurrection. But if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never decided to stop running and turn to him, let today be that day. Second question. Are you aware of God's presence? Are you aware of God's presence? I made fun of Jacob a little bit. Uh, because I I talked about his reaction, you know. Surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. Yeah. But you know what? I might as well have made fun about me, because a lot of times I have come home, you know, from either from the church office or even even before I was a pastor, I'd come home, and I'd get worried, and I'd get anxious, and i get stirred up about things, and i get burdened about things that are going on in people's lives and just get kind of wore down. And, and, and I come home and I talk to Karen and I tell her, oh, this is what's going on. And she'll say to me in this very gentle way that she has, well, pastor, did you pray about it? And I'll go, hmm, no, <laughs> I don't think I did that. Kind of forgot that part, sort of skipped that, <laughs> right? And what's my problem? My problem is, is that I was unaware of God's presence in my situation. I'd forgotten that he was around. That the Lord is in this place, wherever this place is. Whether it's counseling with a couple, whether it's preparing my sermon, whether it's a meeting, 
whether it's um, driving down the road, which really causes me to lose my sanctification at times. Uh, You know, wherever this place is, God is there. And he is available. And he has made himself known to me and wants to hear from me. And we can't forget. We're never lost. We're never abandoned. We're never out here on our own. We're never beyond God's reach. He's always there. And we can always call on him. Because he's promised to be with us, just like he promised Jacob. Remember what what Jesus says? The end of Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, Behold, I am with you when? Always. To the very end of the age. In other words, until eternity runs out, I will always be with you. How long does eternity last? For eternity. Forever. If you've been there a million, billion years, you are not equivalent to the first day. It's forever. He promises to be with us. But we forget. We need reminded, just like Jacob. Last thing, remember this. Remember that God's promises are not dependent on you, but on him. God's promises are not dependent on you, but on him. And he is always faithful. Did Jacob have anything to offer God at this point in his life? No. I think that's a safe assumption. Who initiated the covenant? God did. Who made the promises? God did. Did God base them on Jacob's performance to this point? No. And you know what? Here's the thing. Our salvation and our covenant with God works identically the same way. God calls us and he saves us and he covenants with us to make us like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've had a ratty week this week. You know, maybe you haven't been kicking up your heels. Maybe, in fact, you came to church this morning feeling about as spiritual as a head of cabbage. And you th- you're wondering how you're going to get through another week because you are weighed down by your sin and you're sick of the life you're living and you're just discouraged. And you go, if this is what, a, what the Christian life looks like, I don't know that I want another day of it. Because I feel defeated and beat down and wore out. And I've been struggling with the same issue for nigh unto 50 years. And I'm tired of it. And here's the thing. I have good news for you. If that's you today or if that's ever been you, I have great news. And the great news is this. That you can come drink of the water of God's grace. Because here's the thing, your spiritual life from beginning to end was never dependent on you to start with. It was always dependent on God and His grace. And so His promises are still good. They're still new every morning because they're dependent not on you, but on Him. And they're not dependent on your character, but on His. And so if you've sinned, you can confess and you can be restored and renewed. If you are tired, you can drink deeply of God's grace and find refreshment. 
And if you're discouraged, you can find renewal again in looking at the covenant that God has made and is faithful to keep to you every day for the rest of your life all the way to the end of eternity. God is gracious. He loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter how you've messed things up, no matter how strung out you feel, God is gracious and He is present and He loves you and His promises are new every morning. Remember that your relationship with God is dependent on Him, not on you. And trust Him. Seek Him. Find refreshment in Him. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your great grace that none of our stuff messes up your plan, that you are so sovereign and so gracious that you work even the messed up stuff that we do and think and say into your plan and you work it out for our good. Father, you are so gracious that nothing that we do or have done can ever cut us off from you because your promises and your covenant are irrevocable. And you have made them unilaterally to us because they're dependent on you and your character, not on us and ours. And Father, we thank you for that great grace. We, we pray that if there's anyone here who's never experienced the grace of God, who has never placed personally their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness of sin, for welcome into your family, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for him, for her that they would place their trust in Jesus Christ, crucified and raised from the dead for their sin to give them new life. And Father, for the rest of us here who have known you perhaps a long time, Father, we pray we would not forget that you are with us, that you love us, that you are present with us in every place, in every circumstance, and that you are always there operating by grace in our lives to change us, transform us, mold us, make us fully and completely yours in all of our heart and life. And Father, we pray that we might depend on you and your grace to transform us just as we have depended on you to save us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.